Yo, Willie's World Podcast, episode 11, dopest dope you're ever going to smoke. We're in the house with the one and only X Games, Freeski, Big Air Champion, just came out from Back From The Future, from what was it, when you, how, when, when did you take off into the future, was it 2015, 2016, first double clock, 16, I think 20? 2000, 2015, uh, 1980. 1980. It was in 1980, was it? Whoa. Insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alex, how's, how's your winter going so far? It's going really well. I've been uh, training a lot to get back into competition this winter. So, uh, I've just been training nonstop. And you're, you're based in Park City, is that correct, where you grew up? Yep, Park City. Fantastic. And how's the park at the moment? Is it an early season? You got a few jumps or is it all just rails? We've got one jump and quite a few rails. They're doing the best they can with the conditions right now. So not not too not too good of an early start to the season in uh, Utah this year? Yeah, no, not with the natural snow. <laughs> so what? Uh, so... Uh, give us a little bit of uh, background on uh, you're from Park City originally. Your old man is a uh, former NFL player. Your mother was a Olympic uh, medalist, is that correct, or Olympian? And she then, was an Olympian. And then your uncle's um, she, Eric Burgess, isn't it, as well, the aerialist? Uh, no, Eric Schlopey. He was a racer. I'm the oh, only okay. one that does tricks. Oh, okay, sorry. Wrong, wrong family. <laughs> oh, sorry. No worries, man. And so your your uncle, did he win an Olympic medal or was he just a World Cup, or not just, but he was a World Cup champion, wasn't he? Yeah, he was World Cup. Um, he um, he went to two or three different Olympics, but wasn't able to medal. So what was it like growing up in a family of like so many talented athletes? Was there a lot of pressure on you to perform or was it just, you you know, you were obviously you're nat- very naturally talented? Um and you know you come from a good gene genealogy pool. Uh, what what was it that what was it like growing up in a in a in a household full of so much uh, so much talent? Um, it was there was actually no pressure. I lived. My mom raised me. Um, parents were separated, so um, she was never putting too much pressure on me. So everything kind of just unfolded as. Um, I don't know. I just kind of, if I had a vision, I would go for it. Fantastic. And so you grew up in, you grew up in Park City, is that correct? Yes. And did you live there your whole life? Yes. I've lived there, yeah, all 28 years. (laughs) All 28 years. So you grew up in a pretty um, heated community of like hot up and coming talent. Um, The Battersby brothers and Ashley Battersby, Stephen Thomas, um, you know, you grew up with Joss and uh, McRae Williams, et cetera. What, what was it like coming through the, the Park City program? Did you start in Alpine racing or were you a, a mogul skier originally? I did one race and uh, my coach would always get mad because I was trying to do uh, like tricks, 360s and stuff. And I had like a miserable race. I like pole vaulted over the finish line. I stuck my pole into my nuts and pole vaulted over the finish line. And I was like, I'm done with this. So cat suits weren't for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> they were never for me either. Um, I never actually won. No. Um, thank God. Uh, so... So you so how long did you do that program for? Like, was that between the like age of like eight to ten or something like that? Does it kind of you know teach you the fundamentals, or was that a little bit younger? The Mighty Mites program, I think it is in America. Is that correct? I don't remember. Um, it was around eight years old, and then I transitioned into gymnastics, and um, I competed competed in gymnastics from about eight to twelve years old. And uh, there is a pretty notorious uh, gymnastics uh, coach and uh, team 
coming from that area of Utah. Is that because of the Olympic Training Center that was um, constructed for the Olympics or did that just exist over a long period of time? Um, I think it's been here. So do you know who Mike Hanley is? Yeah, I, I've heard that name before. Yes. So a couple other guys. He was my gymnastics uh, coach growing up, and McCray Williams was on the same team. And um, he's the one that kind of funneled us into free skiing from gymnastics. Not aerials, hey? There was, was there a feeder program from that gymnastics club into the aerials team as well? Uh, not really. Uh, I'd see the whole reason for me to go to free skiing was not being regimented so much. Like that's why I didn't like gymnastics. And and how high of a level did you get to in, in gymnastics? Were you doing like, um, you know, doubles off the floor and stuff or were you a little bit young for that? What was your apparatus? I was young for, yeah, I was young for doubles on the floor, but I was doing doubles on the trampoline and, um, I was doing, uh, um, I was working into doubles on the floor, but I didn't quite get there. And were you a, were you a pole guy or were you a, a vault guy or were you a, a, a tumbling guy? Uh, trampoline and tumbling. Fantastic. So, that, so was pretty, actually, that was a pretty amazing way to give you the skill set that you needed to, to go on to, to land some of those massive uh, spins way before everybody else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was great. I um I won state and got second in state for tramp and tumbling. And what were back some of the, the other day. clubs? What were some of the other clubs in in Utah back in the day that you guys used to compete against? Was there a couple of notorious ones from Salt Lake City? I think so. I don't quite remember. Um, I've had a lot of head injuries and lots of other stuff. substance abuse (laughs) yeah we're all guilty of that that's all right nothing so um so how old were you when you got into free skiing like a 9 10 11 12 years old around that time yeah i was 12 when i started uh going and trying to sign up for my first contest and um I, i think i pulled out of my first contest i was signed up for the uh u.s open and mm-hmm. I saw dudes like TJ Schiller and uh, Mike Wilson and Simon Dumont, Tanner Hall. I was like, dude, I'm fucking not ready for this. And so had you had you been riding Park before that? Obviously, uh, with such a big talent pool that lived in Park City. Um, had you Did you see guys like Stefan Thomas and stuff when you were growing up? And, and did you want to emulate those guys? And obviously, um, Pep and... Uh, Pep and Tanner moved to Park City after they lived in Mammoth for a while, and it kind of became the hotbed of free skiing when you were quite young, didn't it? Yeah, I, I looked up to all those guys, and like especially all the local guys and girls in Park City. Um, I definitely drew a lot of inspiration from all of them. You know, like Ashley Battersby, Adam Tyler Battersby, Stephen Max, Max Peters. That kid used to shred. Tosh. Tosh was Tosh too. Oh, fuck, they had good style, man. Stefan was my yeah, G man. though. I used to ski with Stefan a lot. I met Stefan when I was 14 at the SMS at SMS and I got off the plane and he comes up to me with his ratty little dreadlocks and uh, when we we're waiting for the bus and he's like, do you want to see a rollerblade video? I'm like, okay. And then after that, we were like pretty good mates. <laughs> it was really quite funny actually. Dude, Stefan's such a great guy, man. I, I always looked up to him. I'd skate with him when he was, when we were younger and stuff and, Awesome. He was the style master. He had the best style out of anyone on the glacier back in the day. I remember. Oh, and then, by far. And then he got on K2 and I remember I was hanging out with him and he did the WSI Big Air and he did it on a pair of Hellbents. They were the first pair of Hellbents I'd ever seen. They were like prototype Hellbents and he did a Switch 5 truck driver and a Cork 3 in the Big Air because he, invo- he, he got the invitation, right? And I was just so fucking pumped on how he just was like representing style like uh kind of like pep and andy did that one year that they did x games it was fucking really cool what was the next step after that 
what, how did you get into the higher level and the higher echelon of free skiing? Did you just start with local comps like the Gatorade free tour and stuff like that? Is that how it progressed? Kind of, yeah. So I did a comp at Brighton. Um, so I'm kind of struggling to pick up what the name was, but uh, I think I got like third or something. And that kind of started started the, the momentum. Um, and then the first like bigger events I did were the Cyber Cartel uh, Young Guns. So you went to the US Open and um, you were intimidated by these big dogs that were just thrown down. Um, what was the what was the mindset that that got you over that and kind of progressed you from the small time uh, Brighton comp to you know winning X Games at what? Like how old were you? Sixteen was it when you when you first medal? Uh, my first uh, X game the X Games gold was when I was eighteen. Um, so I I think it took like. I, I kind of had this mindset, like, if you can't compete with the best guys, um, then you're not going to make it. Like, you have to be prepared to compete with the best. Well, growing up in Park City, you definitely got access to the best facilities in the world, best skiers. I remember when the hype train moved from um, from Mammoth to kind of to Park City, um, kind of like around the time when Volume uh, Video Magazine, shout out to Steve Rosendale. I'm actually in one of those magazine videos actually years ago, <laughs> I think. Um, uh, so what, what, um, what, what, was the, what was the transition? That, how did you go from the local Brighton comp to that X Games level? What was that little time period like in your life? Um, so it kind of started with uh, Vermont Open uh, Juniors at age 13. I uh, ended up winning that, and then next year going into Vermont Open Men's Division and ended up winning that, and so that started building kind of some confidence, um, and then Aspen Open when I was 16, because um, I, I got injured when I was 15, I got in a pretty serious car accident, um, and had uh, minor, like, okay, it wasn't mine, like a traumatic brain injury. Um, it kind of rocked my world a lot and left me with a lot of, um, lingering mental health problems that I had to overcome going into, uh, skiing again. So after that, I, um, I actually blew my knee and hit my head again. And uh, I was really out of sorts for a bit, just uh, hung out in my basement for about three months, just kind of all over the place in my head. And um, finally got back up on snow and got second in the Aspen Open. Um, And then ended up getting uh, first in the Dumont Cup, which is what got me the invite to um the Unolson super session uh in sweden with simon and tom wallish and one of the most so iconic kind of, edits was, of uh of all time can you remember the run that you did at the dumont the dumont cup yeah so it was um i think it was switch nine left nine switch dub 14 wow so you were definitely ahead of the curve with certain tricks. Yeah, I, I always had like that urge to just push it further, um, which, you know, later on would bite me in the ass. Yeah, well, that's, that's the, the, the good and the bad of, uh, of being a crazy fellow, you know. <laughs> Come, glory exactly. comes and glory goes. But at least you, at least you roll the dice. Right. And so that so that 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 pretty progressive run um, won you the Dumont Cup, which was pretty much the biggest feeder event in the world at that time. After the U.S. Open kind of died out, after Freeze went to shit, um, can you tell me um, what was it like getting that invite to the Unolson Super Sessions? Oh, it was a dream come true. I was like, you know, just prior to that, it was it, it was all a dream, you know, and then it was like, oh, it, it's happening. So that was, uh, it's kind of no words can really describe that. 
And, and who, so who was on your team? It was, was it, um, it was uh, Dumont and Tom Wallace. And was there someone else that was on your team? Or wasn't it four man teams or was it just three man teams? Uh, three skiers and two filmers, uh, AJ DeCoulis and um, Josh. I uh, can't, uh, once again, too many head name. injuries. And, and, and at the time, obviously, there were, you, you were always pretty good at competitions. Um, did you start filming around that time? Were you, were you filming with like the 4x9 guys or any of the local Park City crew for any movies? Um, a little bit with, uh, um, let's see, the movie was pretty good. It was called Pretty Good. Um, so it's so hard because a lot of these guys uh, aren't doing it anymore so I, um yeah so so you after that you you got into the Ewan Olsen super sessions you're um you're you're starting to get onto that superstar level you're in Sweden you're starting to meet hot Swedish chicks getting the key to the city um was that pretty much up until that point the most amazing experience of your life yeah, it was it was crazy. It showed it uh, shined some light on what I was getting into. Um, just the whole industry. Uh, it was it was like a crash course. Depravity. Yeah. Well, if you're gonna have any kind of depravity, Aura Sweden is a good place to do it. Swedish it was it was are, amazing. Swedish girls are definitely in my top top three. Yeah, they're uh, they're a different breed. Oh, they're definitely well. Yeah, definitely br- different breed. Them and the Eastern Europeans and Brazil's pretty amazing as well. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> Brazil's amazing. Um, Brasilia. I have a friend that's living in Brazil at the moment, and he sends me some pretty raunchy Snapchats every uh, every other few days. So it's definitely <laughs> on my list of places to visit, especially with him. Um, so after that, you got the qualify. Did you qualify for X Games for that next season because of the Dumont Cup, or did you get in through an invitation system, or did you do the the Do Tour the next year? Was that your first result? Was the Do Tour? Was yeah, that- yeah, I got fourth at the Do Tour right before the X Games, and that's what got me the slope style spot at X Games. And I wasn't initially invited for Big Air. And how did you go? How did you find that transition um, onto the biggest stage when you finally got into slope at, at X Games? Was the level any higher than what you'd experienced before at um, the Dumont Cup? And you know, obviously with all the BT the B tier riders, um, obviously you're around you're around the superstars at the Unolson competition, but that's a little bit different because it's filming um, as opposed to putting together like a super high level stock standard run and everybody's on the highest level doing both side, du- well, maybe not both side doubles at that point, but doubles were really starting to become a, a point of, you know, something that you had to have in your repertoire of tricks. And you had, how many doubles did you have at that time? Three or four different ones? Um, so I had that switch. Um, it was like a dub wobble 14. It was a unique rotation. That was the first one I had learned. And then at, do tour um is when i first started learning dub 12s the the week before and then how did you go from um how did you go at x games for slope style that year uh i fell um on both my runs i think it was two runs that we had for qualifying and i, I had the plan to do dub 16 um in my slope run and then I fell right before the last jump, and I looked over at the big air jump, and I was like, "All right, I gotta, I gotta get in that so I can try it because I, I, I felt motivated." And so you, you get the call for uh, X Games Big Air. Was that the was that the first year that you won? That same year after yep. you crashed in your slope style run. So put us in your in your mindset of that. You've just crashed. You've just gotten to the highest level. Um, the biggest competition in the world at the time before the Olympics. And, uh, you know, you're on the world stage and you get this, uh, this call up to, to do big air. And, um, you know, what was going through your head? Were you, were you pissed off because you crashed in slope and that was kind of the motivating factor to spin. So spin to win, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. I was, I was 
pissed off. Um, I wasn't going to go down without a fight. And uh, how, how did that, how did you get into doing such high level rotations? Had you done that before? Like, you know, the, 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 the height and length and how well the X Games big air jump was built after it had been modeled after the, the jumps that Yoon's had started, you know, kind of playing with and other, other people in the spring park shoots, um, you know, with this big step over that kind of allowed for a lot more, a lot more progression without as much, um, you know, uh, as much risk. Had you spun anything over a 14 before that competition? No. Um, the first 16 I did was in competition at, um, in the big air event. And um, the first one I did was a little bit sloppy. And then I, I kind of worked it together in my head, what I had to do to make it, uh, to clean it up. And then the second one was um, really good. And so you, you ended up winning X Games that night. Can you relate us back to what that feeling was like? Was it like some, was it the biggest um, was it the biggest goal that you'd set was to win an X Games gold medal, or were you just skiing because you loved it? Uh, it was both. So um, I had the dream of winning X Games since I was a little kid. I would sit and watch it, and I wrote it all over my walls when I was growing up. Like I'm going to win the X Games, and like you know, I was sitting in my mom's house, and she didn't care if I drew on the walls and shit so i just i was like i was focused on it and uh what, what did you what did you how much money did you end up winning for that comp like 25 or 30 grand yeah i would say so the prize money was 15 and then sponsors um match bonuses so it was yeah. a good yeah and was that the most amount of money you'd seen up until that point oh yeah and, uh, oh yeah, and so your your old man, he's a um, he's now a, a filmmaker. Is that correct? Yeah, he's transitioning into real estate now. He's been in the film industry for years, like since I was you know eight or before and, even. And and he was a was he a was he a, a kicker? Is that correct? Yeah, he was a kicker. And so what, what was what was that like? Was he pretty stoked for you when you called him and told him that you won X Games or was he there with you? Uh, he was there and it was, I mean, it was crazy. We were just like, um, he gave me the pep talk before. He's like, don't think anything more. Just ski like you're skiing and you're going to be really happy. That was exactly what he said. And when I won, he was like, okay, I was expecting you maybe get second or third. He's like, but that was fucking incredible. Um, that's pretty amazing. Um, so after that, you, you win X Games. Um, you're on your transition to be, become one of the biggest guys in the world. You're on Oakley. Um, what's, uh, I don't know what other sponsors you're on at the, at the time. Um, did you get on Red Bull or anything like that, or were you on Monster? Uh, the Claw. You're on the claw, were you? Monster. Um, yeah. And so, so after that, you started filming with um, MSP. Is that correct? That next winter. Yeah. Yep. Um. Sorry, you cut out a little bit. I was filming for what? You were filming for MSP that next winter. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, for um, with Jakob, we did a segment in um, Silverton. And what was that like, going from competing at that high level to now? You're with a big film crew. You've got you got to perform. You, I don't know. Did you grow up hitting lots of backcountry kickers, or did was that like kind of a steep, um, you know, steep learning curve to be able to land in powder? That that was my first time ever hitting anything backcountry um especially well of that of that caliber i'd hit little jumps that we built into powder but as far as like actual you know big lofty kickers and stuff that was it and how did you find that did you naturally transition into that pretty easily because you've obviously grown up 
in one of the places that has some of the best powder skiing in the world. You're probably pretty used to landing in powder, even if it is just small cliffs and little side country stuff. Yeah. Um, it was good. It was, it was tough. Um, I was like definitely, um, a little overzealous, just trying tricks that were maybe not the best idea to, to send like your first time hitting anything. And, uh, it, it became pretty apparent quickly that powder is a totally different game. <laughs> I bet. Um, and so after that, how many seasons did you film with MSP? Uh, two seasons, was it? Yeah, so that was the, the only full segment I ever filmed with them. And then um, that's when everything started kind of fading off for a bit because uh, I felt like I, I plateaued. You know, I'd reached my goals and I didn't really see what else to, to set. And I just kind of wanted to have fun for a bit. And is that when you started partying pretty hard? Yeah, that was tough. Like I was maybe staying top 10 and it, I was fighting so hard to stay in that top 10 because like I was out getting drunk the night before practice and events and then I'd have to fucking try and go compete and I was just, I was a mess. And is that when you kind of started getting on the drugs and stuff like that? Just kind of, did you grow up around a lot of that stuff being in a, in a, in a small town like Park City? Obviously, you got a lot of influences. You know, you have the Sundance Film Festival there. There's a lot of people with a lot of money. Um, I'm sure there's a few, you know, there's drugs pretty prevalent. Um, I spent a lot of time in Whistler growing up and I noticed that a lot of the young kids that I used to see at the skate park were always kind of, you know, fucked up at a pretty young age. Was that pretty prevalent when you were a kid in Park City? Yeah, it was pretty prevalent. I like so I smoked weed for the first time when I was twelve, and I didn't like it at all. Um, but you know, every everyone was smoking weed, and you know, I was kind of the outcast because I didn't like it. Um, and then come fifteen, when I got injured in that car accident, I started like um, like selling weed and smoking weed because uh, I didn't know any better, <laughs> and. Um, but I was never into hard drugs. Uh, the hard drugs didn't start until I was about 20, 20. And, uh, what, what, do you remember the first time you did yay? Yeah, I do. Uh, it was at, I'll, I'll leave him out of it, but it was at a good friend's birthday party. And, um, I kind of panicked because I knew how much I loved it right away. And I almost called my dad. like yo this is bad and then uh after that you, the, the slow decline began is that correct with your ski career so kind of slowly but surely yes sort of yeah so then event like I, I was partying hard and then they announced that um skiing made the olympics so i did get sober and for about nine months leading up into the qualifying and i just i trained every day and, um, I, you know, I got really close to making it. And then when I got the phone call that I missed it, um, I, my goal was to stay sober, um, even after the Olympics. But when I missed it, um, I just kind of said, fuck it and started drinking again. And that was when the slow decline started. Did it affect you that one of your best friends had just won the Olympic gold medal? and like it was it, bitter bittersweet yeah, yeah. and did it bittersweet make you, you know did it make you think that like that could have been me and like i'm a better skier than him and like obviously you might not say that on record but you were obviously a lot more you were at a higher level than he was at that point he was and de he was definitely the underdog that kind of got in there and then he and then he obviously his run killed it I don't, um what was that like Especially in such a, in a small community like that, you know, when you had all the expectations on you as a as a, as a kid to be that to be that guy. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Um, you know, I just wish I had the opportunity to see if 
you know, I'm a competitor, so I like to see what I can do. But on the other end, you know, Joss was one of my best friends. So watching him succeed, like, you know, we were rooming together throughout the whole qualifying process. And I, I kept trying to give him advice and I, I could just see the hunger in his eyes. You know, his dad had just passed away and, um, you know, something was going on in his mind where, you know, he wanted it so bad. And, you know, when it came down to crunch time, he went and got it. So I, I can't not respect that. Um, so having grown up as kind of like the golden child in, um, in Park City, were, were all your friends kind of a little bit of the outsiders as you achieved kind of the, um, the high prevalence and X Games medals before, before everybody else? Do you, do you think that, that, you know, how we all have a burn rate as an athlete, do you think that your candle burnt a little bit brighter at an earlier age than most of your kind of compadres that you grew up skiing with? Um, yeah, I guess I would say that it was, it was weird. I had a lot of, um, people start coming into my circle and, you know, being like, Oh, you're the man, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't like that. So, um, so you, 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 uh, you miss out on the Olympics by a couple of spots. Um, you and Tom Wallace and a few other people didn't end up going. Um, what was that like? What was that next? Did you end up doing any more competitions in, in that season? Yeah. So I did um, the Hella Big Air. Um, or actually, yeah. So I did X Games after that, after I missed the Olympics. Um, that's when I did the 1980. And then after... Um, did you win X Games that year? No, I I qualified first into finals, and then I I actually did a switch 1980 and tore my shoulder uh, first round of finals. And do you think that that was your um your self conscious or your consciousness kind of manifesting negativity because of the association with not qualifying for the Olympics, or do you think that was just a, a stupid crash? Uh, I think it was the my consciousness being negative for sure. And anyway, so you, you've, you've publicly talked about the, the kind of the, the rough road that you went on. Um, you know, you, you were selling drugs and doing all sorts of bad shit. We don't necessarily have to talk about all that because you've already kind of addressed that in other podcasts. Um, the thing that I'm more interested in is now you transition into what you're becoming. Um, can you give us a little bit, just a little kind of the footnotes of, of what happened and over the next few years and how you got to this point now where you're... Um, you're trying to come back and achieve whatever your next phase of what you want to achieve is? Yeah. So start, um, first thing that happened, um, I was drunk and, um, I'd been on prescribed antidepressants and Xanax, um, for anxiety and stuff. And, um, I basically ran and jumped off a cliff in California, like at questioning why I was alive and I didn't really give it much thought before I went off and I woke up on the beach. I don't know if I was knocked out or what, but I remember like an insane impact. Um, and, um, I ended up in intensive care with brain bleeding and uh, lung bleeding. Um, so then after that, that they gave me morphine there. And that was kind of the trigger for what was to come next where, um, started uh, using opiates as a coping mechanism because they got rid of like emotional and physical pain. And that took me down a dark, dark road where I ended up um, basically uh, hanging out at the homeless shelter every day. Um, I was addicted to heroin, crack and meth. And um, was this all in Salt Lake um, City? Was this all in Salt Lake City? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was addicted to those drugs and I was basically living out of dumpsters, selling stuff I would find, uh, like I'd find furniture and stuff in dumpsters and pawn it. And, um, that would kind of feed the habit after I ran out of money. And then, um, uh, basically eventually, uh, turned to stealing and it sucks cause I've, I'm not a a thief that's been one of my biggest morals in life is don't steal 
So, um, you, but, so you've grown up around all these all these kids and all this all this affluence and stuff like that in a in a very um, probably one of the richest uh, probably small towns in in America and if not one of the richest towns in the world considering if you you know in the it's definitely in the top point one percent percentile. Um, you know, we all do, as we are skiers, we've grown up around a lot of rich and affluent people. Um, did you not have anyone in your community that kind of tried to kind of help you and kind of be like, Joss, you're fucking up, mate. Like you, you need to, you know, get your shit together. Uh, no, 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 not nobody. Um, I, I, I hit it. Like I didn't want anyone to know that I was struggling. Um, so I just kind of disappeared. Cause Salt Lake and Park City are like two different worlds, aren't they? Oh yeah. It's night and day, dude. Like Salt Lake is, it's gnarly down there, dude. I mean, I was, I was getting in a lot of fights and, um, it was, it was life or death almost every day, kind of. And so uh, after that, you, um, you kind of, you know, you, you, you were doing a bunch of bad shit. What what was the light bulb moment that that kind of triggered you to be like I'm 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 not this person. This isn't what I was destined to do. Um, definitely after getting arrested, um, and then uh, when I was in jail, I was having horrible withdrawals because I I used um, you know heroin every day for almost two years, and um, it was really painful. So I. Um, I got out of jail and relapsed immediately. And then I just, I called my dad and I was like, I need help like now or it's over. And so once I was in rehab, I mean, it took about a year, over a year after rehab to even start feeling somewhat okay again. Um, Cause my brain chemistry was so fucked up. Yeah, well, heroin's a pretty gnarly drug. What what else were what did you find it did you find that the Xanax and and the the prescription opioids were harder to get over than the than the usage of the heroin? Were you were you actually injecting or were you freebasing? Uh freebasing and yeah, the Xanax was the hardest one to get over. So you never you never got into the injectables. You never you never went that no. that far. Well, that's No, I was it was one the night before I went to rehab, I had a needle to my arm and like a voice popped into my head. I was like, if you do this, it's, it's game over, dude. Fuck. That's gnarly, man. That's hectic. Yeah. It's really crazy yeah, to be that brutal. vulnerable, you know, and, and life can do that to you. you. And every, and it's really sad that you must've been really good at hiding, hiding those demons from your parents and from, you know, people around you. Yeah. The, that was, that's what's scary, dude. Is like, you know, I, I was able to hide it that well. And, um, you know, I just, I just wanted to be gone, dude. I was like, I felt like drugs bring your psychology and your self talk to a really weird place. Demons in the head. Yeah. I mean, that's the best way to put it. Like, you know, I was the personification of the devil, dude. That's hectic. And so what, what did your old man say when you called him? Did he know? Was he aware? Were they starting to think that something was wrong? Obviously, you're a yeah. really high-profile athlete and you, you're probably pretty good at hiding that kind of stuff. And I'm, maybe that got taught to you or you taught that to yourself when you, when you had your accident or some kind of prior, um, prior experience in your life. Um, what, were your parents aware of what, what was going on at all or did it, was it a, a big shock to him? Um, it was a pretty big shock. Uh, I mean, they had to have known maybe subconsciously. Um, but I, you know, I was scared, dude, because addiction and shit like that have such a huge stigma. So I was, I was like, dude, I don't want to be an addict. And so what, what, what set you onto the path to sobriety? Was it, did you fly out to California to go hang out with your old man and just kind of get out of the, um, the environment that you were in? Or did you move up to Park City and move in with your mom? How was that um, transition? I, yeah, I moved in with my mom first. The first thing was uh, I jumped on a plane to Texas to go to rehab. And that was insanely miserable. 
um, just the withdrawals and, you know, I was just freaking out. Like I felt like, I, I, I don't know how to explain it. Um, just like a month long freak out. Yeah. Well, prescription drugs are really bad and it's such a big problem in, in, in the United States, you know, it's a problem here in Australia, but not to the point where, you know, you have so many physicians and doctors and stuff, um, diagnosing people for, for this, for silly things and just, just giving them pills that they can pop, you know, it's probably yeah, one drug of the dealers. Of prof- yeah. Drug- uh, yeah. They're, they're legal drug dealers and much worse than probably heroin or, or cocaine. Uh, it's all the same, dude. I mean, it's just better heroin and better meth and <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> so, do, so do you look back on that time period of your life and do you regret it or do you think that it's kind of, it was part of your journey to kind of, to learn who you are as a person and how you, you have the devil inside you and you don't want to be that person? Yeah, it was definitely a part of my journey. You know, we all have that, that dark side and I... I had to go there to figure out that that's not who I am. Yeah. Well, it's really, it's really cool that you're, you're, you're so open to the vulnerabilities that you have. I think a lot of people can, can take inspiration from that because we see so many people in the world up on X games podiums and filming and traveling around the world and doing this and that. And, you know, they just see glory. They don't see the pain and the hardship and, and the things that can come when all that's taken away. Right. Yeah. And it, I don't know. That's why I am open about it because if I can help someone avoid going down that path or help someone who's in that um, darkness come out, then it's worth it. Like, I don't care. I, it doesn't affect me if, you know, you have something to say about it. I, I think it's awesome, man. I think that you, I think more people should be like you. I think the world would be a better place because <laughs> we all have, we all have fucking demons and no one, no one talks about it. Instagram and all this shit, everyone, put, you know, they put out the best version of themselves and that's not really the reality of the world. Nope. The nice highlight reel. Yeah, and we all have highlights. Highlights are great. I have a fucking crazy life, but I still wash dishes and dig holes and, you know, do what I got to do sometimes. Not if I don't necessarily right. need to do that, but sometimes, you know, I got to go do, do what I got to do. And it's, that's part of keeping yourself grounded and human. Exactly. Yep. So um so uh, so after that you you go to rehab in Texas and then you fly back to um back to Park City. What was that next yep. transition like? How did, did did your friends start coming? You know, finding out about the problems that you'd had. Like, were you embarrassed to be around them, or or was were you accepted with open arms in the community? Um, once I kind of uh, started sharing my stories, when like the biggest transition happened in my mind, I was like, oh shit like just let it out and everything started switching and um you know everyone was pretty received it really well surprisingly and they just wanted to help um so yeah that's when i i basically i had 11 felony charges from the street that i had to clean up so i entered a drug court program uh 18 month program um which ended up taking me almost two years. It's really difficult. Um, yeah, your, the laws but, in Utah are pretty fucked up. I got caught in Park City years ago with like two grams of pot and um, it was like a really big fucking ordeal. I wasn't allowed in America for like four years for like two oh, grams shit. of fucking weed. It was like, what? Well, That's a joke. cost me like 15 grand. I lost all these sponsors because I couldn't go to America. And I was like such a fucking ordeal you know it's crazy how your country is so different from one state to the other i think utah's calmed down a lot though hasn't it in the last few years it's starting to starting to yeah well that's good that's good for for everyone because like in countries where um drugs are treated as a health problem as, as opposed to a criminal issue um they seem to have a little a lot better um you know return to society rate than for for junkies and stuff like that from what i've from what i've read yeah, and like, look, dude, like, I was not having fun on drugs. Like, I was fucking miserable. It's like, I wasn't trying to be an outlaw, um, but like, you know, and that's why I felt so. It was scary to, you know, own up to it. So, how did you get treated by by everybody in the community? Was it was everyone pretty 
pretty open to you as you as you um you know you you kind of set out and this is you know this is who I am I've, I'm you know and kind of unleashed your vulnerabilities to the world yeah it was it was surprising how um, how supportive everyone was. The hardest thing to do was get back on skis because I felt so embarrassed and ashamed. I was like, dude, like, I don't know. I was like, nobody wants to see me up there. Like, I just, I'm a fucking failure, blah, blah, blah. I mean, demons in the head. It's, yeah. yeah. It's pretty crazy when those, those voices start talking to you. Yeah, it sucks. I think everyone's got them though. Um, oh, absolutely! It's that's life. You know, you can't have light without the dark. Um, so you, after that, you um you started transitioning back into kind of skiing, and what what were you doing for for cash and stuff? Did you we, did you have a lot of side? Do you have side like a? Did you have to get a real job after that? Were you like banging nails, or or were you still living off your yeah, ski money? Um, no, I was I was completely strapped, dude. I had nothing. My mom doesn't really, you know, she has enough to support the bare minimum. Um, so I, I've worked seven jobs over the last three or four years, um, from hot tub repair to landscaping to two different ski shops, um, everything. And then I'm like, eventually, like basically this year, um, just kind of like, fuck it, I'm going for it again. So fast forward to um, 2019, 2020, um, you get back on snow, you're starting to get good at skiing again. Um, how did you find uh, the transition of trying to get back into learning, you know, all the tricks that you used to have? Obviously, upright probably nines to 14s are pretty easy for you. Did you have a tough time learning doubles and stuff like that again or, or could you consistently do that? Um, it was hard. I, I got up to 220 pounds so it's hard to throw that weight around um and i just I, you know it was like getting old car and fucking tuning it up again so it took a little bit of time but you know i'm back at fight weight and right now i'm kind of skiing really well um so you you've uh can you tell us about what what kind of training you've been doing you've you've obviously i i see you on instagram all the time you're at the you're at the Woodworld and you're at the gym and you're on the trampoline all the time and you're coaching little kids and you know how how are you finding this? Are you are you skiing just for the love of it now as opposed to you know the the idea of of, of glory because you've already had that you know? Oh yeah, it's I I couldn't really care less if I got a medal ever again, dude. It's I just love it and I missed it and. Um, you know, I just like to set goals because then it gives me motivation. So, you know, that's the reasoning behind setting the goals towards the Olympics and stuff. Um, and you know, when I set goals, I do everything in my power to achieve them. And, uh, so, so you've gotten on, you've gotten on our motor, um, I think for flow, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And what about any other sponsors that have come back on board with you? No, uh, not yet. Um, I'm working on building just like a, a company to help eliminate the stigmas behind mental illness and addiction um, that I'm going to wear. Uh, it's just like, you know, hoodies and T-shirts and joggers and stuff. Um, and it's, you know, that's uh, the main focus. But as far as everything else, um, nothing yet. Well, it's on the early season, man. You're and so, what? Where would you like to go with this? Would you like to get back into competing? And you know, is the goal to get back to X Games and, and to that level of filming, or are you just doing what you're doing and seeing where it goes? Yeah. So right now, I actually, I talked to the US ski team this summer, and um, I got a spot in the Rev Tours and Norams, whatever it is, to try and qualify for the World Cup next winter. Well, I, I see big things coming your way. You've obviously got a lot more talent than most kids that are ever going to put skis on, and uh, you've got a unique style and a unique ability to be able to spin hard. and And your rail game's pretty, pretty, pretty top level at the moment as well. So, wh- where do you see skiing and ha- at the moment? And how do you what do you think about all the you know like the difference between the you know the like the little the crews that are can't carve a turn and are wearing tracksuit pants and bumping off stuff 
and then the the jock kids that are doing oh, you know, triples. That's kind of the reason I'm coming back, dude. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know. I love it. Like, I, I support anyone out there having fun, but it's like, you know, you got to bring the OG back a little bit and kind of. I'm trying to fuse the, the old and the new. And and so tell me, in, in, if you if you were at the Olympics in um whenever the whenever the next Olympics are pending, this virus doesn't let us all never travel again after we get this mandatory vaccine that's probably going to kill us quicker than the virus would have anyways. Um, right. Fuck. Oh, don't even get me started. That's another, that's a whole another podcast. Um, so what, in, in your, in your, in your brain, what would, what would be your perfect run? Um, so I've been working on the tramp, you know, for a couple of hours every day for the last few months. Um, just working on left spins and stuff. And I'm finally unlocking that realm a lot more but the ideal run uh on a three jump course like say if i made like a uh, world cup i'm thinking would be um well i don't know i don't even want to say it yet <laughs> that's fair enough but yeah. definitely uh throwing throwing in a switch left triple and some some other shit that i've been working on um a lot keep in my head too. Most of my training. Keep that. In keep my that. Head. In, keep that. In well, you've obviously got the talent and the the skill set to do to do the tricks that you envision. You, you've you've you pretty much started the the spin to win revolution with style, um, and that you did that <laughs> you know seven seven years ago before everyone else was doing it. Now they're all just kind of played catch up. So you know it's still in there. You just got to tap into it. Um, where, so where would you like to? You want to qualify for World Cup? Is there anything else that you'd like to do? Um, I'd like to film some more. Um, I'm working on launching a series, just kind of following the journey. Um, especially right now with everyone, uh, just feeling uh, everyone's really down here in the U S uh, I think mental illness and addiction are skyrocketing. So I think it's important to share the story and give them some, some sort of hope, I guess. Fantastic. Well, um, is there anything else that you'd like to leave leave the world with? Like, what kind of message you'd like to put out into the universe? Um, I'm just happy to be back, dude. Like it, it was it was dark, it was shitty, but you know, the it's true. What it doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And uh, you know, I'm I'm ready, dude. Well, thank you very much for your time, uh, bro. And I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate the fact that you're so open to your vulnerabilities because I think that a lot of people in this world um, don't get to see the other side of what what can happen if if you've, you you you're always walking on that precipice of of glory versus um, versus crashing crashing and burning and you know so most people just ha- see glory and it's interesting to see someone go to the brink in multiple ways and then come back and live to tell the tale. Yeah, I think uh, it's important, dude. So, you know, hopefully I can set the set the example for other people moving forward so, you know, people don't feel as alone. All right, well, awesome. It was great talking to you, dude. Have a lovely afternoon and um Godspeed. Is there anything else that you'd right, like dude. to you'd, you'd like to shout out anyone before we um before we wrap? Uh, just shout out everyone, dude. Keep pushing through this pandemic sucks, but you know, stay positive, uh, focus on your goals. Legend. Well, peace and love my right, friends. See you around. <laughs> peace. Thank safe. you, man. Legend. Yeah.